Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guests today are Dean Lamb and Toby Morelli, who are the guitar players and songwriters for the technical death metal band Arkspire. And just to note, this is Dean's second appearance on the podcast. We love him. Dean and Toby joined the band within eight months of each other and since then have been a part of all three major releases since 2009. The heavy technical nature of Arkspire has prompted many comments on the incredible musicianship in the band, and the guitar work is no exception to that praise. These guys are fucking amazing. Dean Lamb and Toby Morelli, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And you Canadians are quiet. <laughs> yeah. You should have heard the stuff that I was saying before we started rolling. <laughs> Yeah, we get all the mean stuff out and then <laughs> you know, beforehand. So I want to talk about how the fuck you guys write together. <laughs> because, Dean, you talked about this with us last time. In my head, you guys wrote at a computer and then sent files around. And I was very shocked to learn that you guys wrote in the same room. <laughs> it's insane because, like... uh so, like, when Mark from Suicide Silence told me that they write in the same room, that makes sense. Because mm -hmm. those are, like, those are riffs that lend themselves to two people in a room fucking jamming it out and just writing the heaviest shit you've ever heard. But while your stuff is the heaviest shit I've ever heard, it's also, the like, the fastest and most complicated. And it doesn't really lend itself to jamming or learning it that fast. So what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, like, we have the same or very similar process from when we started the band till now. We just added some, like, like you know, uh, quality of life improvements where we have, instead of, like, with our first two albums where we memorized everything and then went into the studio. Yeah. Like, you can only do that so many times before you're 40-something and you, like, you know, your brain is so full of, like, bullshit that you've forgotten that you just try to go into the studio like what album is this riff from and then you're like nah fuck that's the outro riff of the last song on the other album like did we just write the same song again and unfortunately that's what we did with this new album so that one's going to be scrapped and uh, we're gonna have to go back <laughs> in the studio and re-record so the new album yeah. is just the first album it's Basically. essentially the first album yeah yeah, yeah. We're starting all over again <laughs> yeah or even like trying to remember stuff too like when we're like i've been playing this riff like this way for six months and dean will be like well i've been playing it like this Okay, well, now what the fuck do we do? We're in the studio, so how do we fix yeah. this? And it's like... Lots of yelling. A lot of yelling. It's a lot so, of yelling. So what's Lots. the process then? You said you guys did figure out a process. Yeah. I mean, this one changed. This one was... this. I say that we have kept the same process, but this one was a little bit different. We did rely more on technology, and it's only because we couldn't really get together as much because we did write over the last... Uh, you know, right now, it's uh, as we're talking, it's May 21st, 2021. So in the last year and a half, we had to adapt, right? But uh, that being said, we still did get together a bunch at the times that we could so that we could write in the same room. But we sent each other a couple of things this time, maybe more so than the last few albums. But even still, we made all the big decisions in the same room. We jammed out everything that we possibly could. Um, and, and I think really the reason why is because you get that connection to the music that you just wouldn't hearing it on Guitar Pro or on Pre-Pro. Um, you hear it differently in those mediums, and sometimes it's good to hear it there too, but you got to hear it in the room. At least that's how it's, it's worked for us. So how does it not become just a confusing mess, though, with like music that's 
this fast that you're putting together or learning for the very first time? We all know what it sounds like when people are learning things. Like that's I'm wondering what is the actual process like when when you guys are working on a song or a riff? Is it somebody has the idea for both parts and just showing the other person the part or is someone came up with the original riff and then the other person is writing their part or you start at one riff and then the other person learns the other riff tweaks it a little then you tweak it a little more and like what it's kind of a mix of everything you just said (laughs) okay so it would start with an idea like a riff so if dean or myself come up with an idea and then either send it you know over messenger or just show it to the band and then basically from there we all have our input on if we like the initial idea and if we want to move forward with it. So from there, then it's basically like, you know, arguing for, I don't know, 45 (laughs) minutes to an hour, you know, trying to, trying to push our way through that idea or not, or just scrap it and start all over again. Um, Mm, But after, if everyone's down with the initial, whether it's a riff or, you know, it could even be a drum pattern or something, then collectively we all start putting our input in like, Hey, what if we changed it this way? Or, what if we added, you know, oh, what if we add a harmony to this? Or what if we turn this into like, what if we up the tempo and make it faster? So we all chip in and try to like make that section better. And then we'll practice it before we even move on to the next section. So we could spend like, I don't know, Dean, like what, like two hours on like 10 seconds of music. And then, and then in the end, just be like, no, fuck it. One guy doesn't like it, so we can't use it. <laughs> yeah. And and honestly, like the scrapping the riff is the most like if anybody's listening to this and they write music and they get really frustrated when they can't fit two pieces of music together, it's like scrap one of them and you'll be like, Oh Thank you. Yeah. my god, that's what my problem was. I was trying to put this in here and it sucks. <laughs> it yeah. fucking sucks. Or trying to have like we'll have riffs for like, oh, there's this one riff and it was like from six months ago and we'll try to like bring it back and it'll be like, Oh, ah. that's Toby's Italian coming out a little bit. Six a months ago. Six a months ago. <laughs> 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 you got a pasta. <laughs> yeah. So like I w- I'm from uh, a very Christian town called um, Abbotsford. That's why I wear these. I mean, nobody can see it. You guys can see it, but the crosses around my neck and the silver chains, <laughs> the holy water behind me and stuff like that. All that's because of my Christian upbringing. You know, I got those Jesus. Uh, what would Jesus do tattooed on my eyelids every time so I close my eyes? Says. Yeah, I know okay. you can see it from there. That's fine. The Lord forgives. So. Half of the band is from Vancouver Island, and the other half, even though, sorry, I'm really bad at math, there's five of us, so yeah, two of us are from <laughs> Vancouver Island, and three of us are from Lower Mainland, but yeah, it's, it, was, it was tough to find members. Like I remember when I st- first started jamming with Spencer, our drummer, and that was 2009, uh, so just about 12 years, I think it's, it's like just past 12 years when I first met him. And the other guys that were in the band at the time, you know, ever since then, we've always had the same goal. There's even been times where some guys in the band, you know, they might think, oh, there's some other musical opportunity that I have here that might be kind of cool or whatever. We pretty much like nothing ever had any of us stray too far from this like goal of our band to be really really fast and technical never add any melodic vocals to our band which totally is cool for other bands just for some reason all of us came together on 
like these really core ideals. And that's what stuck us together. And through a really rigid series of like ridicule and harassment to each other, we've really forced each other into like this sort of rut (laughs) and things are going pretty well. (laughs) We're stuck together uh, and, and the music has like benefited from that. And, and we've all gotten really close because we've spent how many weeks or months or whatever at a time in a van, but we just all want to do pretty much the same thing with the band. And that's never really changed. So our process for, for writing hasn't really changed much either. Yeah. It's kind of like an old school approach. Mm. And maybe it's mm. like um, our age group, like we're not, not, we're not really old, but we're not really young either, but we're kind mm. of in that realm where like the technology stuff, like using like, you know, Guitar Pro or recording stuff at Jam wasn't really even a thing. It was more just like hashing yeah. stuff out. And because, you know, we've all just always jammed like that, we've just kind of used that maybe to our benefit. So we always have that like live approach to even writing. And then eventually you know, putting in like technology, like now now we'll record riffs at jam or sections of stuff like Dean will set mics up for everything. And we'll actually get to play back in real time what a section might sound like. Toby, I'm trying to think of a specific example for a riff on how we wrote like a section off of our new album, like not to say too much about the music, but like for the most part, it was either I had an idea or you had an idea and we brought it to jam or sometimes it would literally be. And and in that case, we would, the other guy would write the other part generally, unless like you in had the idea room? yeah in the room yeah, yeah, yeah. In the room, or, or yeah. take it home and then ha- like work on it and then be like hey i wrote a part to your part yeah what i think almost thing? almost always we at least had like a good like um like a basic idea for a sec for an accompaniment to a mm-hmm. riff that one of us brought at the end of that jam it's like okay well yeah. i got something sort of going on and then you go home and you work on it and come back but like sometimes we would have literally nothing and you and me talked about this recently where it's we were doing five days a week in the jam spot for about four or five months probably four months right before covid started getting like shutting everything down and we were there monday to friday uh, sometimes, some days we did 10 AM till one or something. Other days we did 3 PM till whatever. It kind of varied. And we would go there every single day, regardless of whether we had a riff or not. And that was, that was hell. That fucking sucked. It was frustrating. We thought it would be better because we're like, Hey, we're there five days a week. Something should come out out of that. But we're just there too much around each other too much feeling pressure that we have to come up with something. And like, you know, it's an art form. It's creative. So when you feel like you're being pressured to do something, sometimes cool stuff comes out. But a lot of time, it's just that pressure. You're like, I got nothing. I got writer's block now because, you know, there's four other guys in the room or whatever, or there's three other guys because, say, Dean and I are trying to come up with a start of something. And we both are just like burnt out. And it's like, well, where we need music to start. Like we need something like come up with something like i think about that sometimes where i'm like wow that's that for one thing seems a long like a long time ago and i and it was about a year ago but man that was that was about four months where i was i I mean not 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 at fault for anybody but like i was honestly dreading going there most days yeah 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 there's times it was a bad idea it was pretty dark (laughs) so is it the frequency (laughs) that was the bad idea like the going in five days a week. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys did encounter some of the things that made me think that it would be difficult to write in the same room. Like what I was curious about mostly the reasons that I was blown away by it was 
more so to do with the what an idea is first formed when it's coming out of thin air it seems like doing that around other people or like under pressure in this style of music seems insane to me like it just i don't understand how that could be done the idea of refining stuff with other people i can wrap my head around that the thought for me of like all right i need to write a technical death metal thing that's going to be awesome and there's like four people looking at me and yeah. <laughs> nothing's coming out oh yeah well not not only looking at you also ridiculing you when it sounds bad <laughs> yeah it's like that doesn't sound right it's like i'm literally improving as this like i'm we're improving stuff it's like this is in my head. Maybe this. That doesn't work. Well, no shit. It doesn't work. <laughs> Sometimes it's like you'll play something and three notes, you'll go da-na-na or something. Not that, but something like that. Toby, write that down. So sometimes you'll do that and one guy in the room will be like, what was that? Yeah. And you'll be like, I don't know. And then you try to play again. And at that point, there was seven notes ago. So you forgot you were making it up as you go anyway. And so then you try to remember what that was. And then the whole room, you have to basically like ride off the excitement of the room. And if you play five notes in a row that sound kind of cool and somebody else goes, oh, that was cool. Then you can sometimes like kind of grab onto that and go back and be like, okay, yeah, I sort of have something here. And then you refine, refine, refine. But most of the time it's, what was that? I don't remember. Uh, It was cool. Let's go get coffee. And then we come back. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, this is why it takes us so long to write music. So we wrote our first album was, you know, off and on. We were writing, we wrote one of the songs in like three weeks. Most of the songs came out in like about a month each or whatever after we sort of got the final lineup. And then the one after that, it took a little bit longer. And then one after that, so uh, the the most recent album that we've released, Relentless Mutation, took about eight or nine months of writing. And this one, we've been writing since mid-2018. And we just went into the studio at the end of 2020. They take longer as we go. I mean, that's the thing, right? We all have to like what's happening before we go forward so even if it's at five seconds ten seconds of music if one dude's like i don't know i'm not feeling it then it's like okay well what can we do to uh fix that (laughs) yeah that's it that's how we operate we we decide we think hey somebody doesn't like it let's work on it and if they are adamant enough that they don't like it they say no i really don't like that part we don't do it and that's that's really is the reason why we've been able to be successful at writing music is because we keep that and we do that with most stuff with business well, does everybody want to do this? Okay, one person doesn't want to do it. We talk to them. Do they have good reasons why? Okay, well, let's not do it. Even though everybody else might want to or whatever. We do that same thing with, we do that more so with riffs than anything else. If this guy doesn't like that riff. It's like, let's not do it. You know, I like it, but it's not worth it for me to like increase the, you know, the shittiness because one guy has to go on stage every night and play a riff he doesn't like. It's like, well, that sucks, you know? So it's literally that Metalocalypse episode it's like I think it's like their third or fourth episode from the first season when they're all listening to their new album and then the singer Nathan Explosion's like sitting there and he's listening to it and he's like thinking to himself and then he just he's hovering over the delete button <laughs> and then right when the song's done he's like nope and he just deletes the whole thing and it's their full album that took them forever to write I think of that all the time and like that sums up our band in writing in a nutshell it's like for sure okay we got everything and then it's just like nope nah fuck it (laughs) get done (laughs) so you know what's interesting here oftentimes when writing by democracy happens that 
degrades the quality of the band. Like you'll have a lot of bands that started as one person who is the main creative and over time, you know, other people wanted to be involved. It became less of a, less of a dictatorship or creatively and more of a democracy. And there's some bands that have always been a democracy like corn or whatever, suicide silence. There are bands who have made it work, but I think in general, lots of times that tends to degrade the quality of the music overall because people with inferior ideas want their shit in yep. there and you have no choice in certain circumstance but to uh drop your quality standards a little bit yeah we just want to get better at the thing we've started with <laughs> yeah so it's impressive to me that you guys can have this system and the music doesn't get shittier what is it actually though we're not we're not really operating on a democracy though right it's unanimous or nothing fair enough if one guy doesn't like it then he gets his way if everybody else likes it, unless he's willing to compromise or whatever. And that leads to frustrating things. And I've been on, I've been that one guy before where I don't like this riff, you know, and at a certain point you start to go like, okay, well, if I'm that one guy, every third jam, then no one's going to want to jam with me. Right. It's going to be a bummer to jam with me, but you have to be that guy at some point because the way that we've all put it is like we put filters between like our music getting released. So each one of us acts like a filter in the room where it's like shitty ideas get caught by the filters. And then uh, at the end, hopefully you have like a distilled, what a group of five guys who all love death metal, what they all would like. It has elements of everything that they love about the genre and it ends up only that stuff rather than the, you know, the, um, the, whatever I, I got really into Tibetan monk chanting and I want to put it into a song or I really have been practicing my bagpipes and I want to put it in a, you know what I mean? Like some, it's like, well, no, nobody else is going to do that. Those are pretty extreme examples, but Toby did. Well, there you go. Yeah. And now we can't <laughs> do it because they already did it. They beat yeah. us to it. <laughs> I guess if you're the person who every three jams is not feeling ideas, maybe that there's a deeper problem. Maybe the chemistry is just not right. Yeah, it doesn't work for everybody. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. To Toby, you think that this system that we have is frustrating, but it's worth it in the end, yeah. right? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, yeah. in the end, everyone will agree. It's just getting to it yeah. is sometimes shitty. Like... I don't know. It's kind of like, I guess it's redundant to say, but when it's going well, it's really going well. And when yeah. it's not, fuck, it sucks. It fucking sucks. It's just, it's the kind of depressing yeah. and there's a lot of anxiety. But I mean, you're working with four other people. You all want the same goal, but it's just getting there is, you know. And, and sometimes too, like, you know, if someone's personal shit's kind of weird, sometimes that can seep in once in a while too, and that affects <laughs> stuff. Sometimes. Which, Sometimes, <laughs> which sucks because you want to just come in at, at like blank canvas with everyone and everyone's just like stoked to be there. But, you know, that's humans don't always work like that. So sometimes you just come in and someone's just in a negative mood because of something else. And that might affect that progress. It could be like, yeah, I don't like any of this. And it, you know, it's also like we've all been doing this full time, you know, as as musicians, we've all been playing as Archspire as our main source of income, essentially for a couple of years, two and a half years, something like that. You know, before that, we were making like sort of a side income and, you know, maybe a majority or whatever. But at some point in 2018, I think all of us at that point were like, OK, this is this is it. This is what we're doing. And that's cool. But then when you start treating it like 
only like a job, like you were saying five days a week, it's like your soul gets something about it. It's like, well, no, this is exactly what I didn't want to do. Right. It's like, the, even though I'm going to work with four of my best friends, it's like still that's, I mean, you could go to work and you could have the best job in the world, but it's still work. So for us, it's like, it has to be something sort of looser and more, you know, more fitting to more conducive to being creative. But yeah, I mean, like when it goes well, it goes really well. And when it doesn't, it, uh, it definitely sucks. But yeah. So it sucks. I think when we had the, a bit of a break during COVID, like when it shit, shit really hit the fan and we're like, all right, let's just not even see each other. We'll just do zoom chats or communicate online. And that gave us a lot of extra time too to like focus on our own instruments, come up with more ideas, be clear headed. And then I think during that, like ideas just started flowing It'd be like, Oh, here's an idea. Just throw it at the wall. And I think because everyone was separated from each other and just kind of doing their own thing and just like, in more of a laid back scenario because we're f- kind of forced to um there was no like i don't know a lot of those ideas there, there was nothing that people were like uh biased against because they're just hearing the idea as is like no one was mad at the other guy or something or no one had a shitty day before they're just listening to pure music and they're like hey this this could totally work like why don't we work on this i don't know in a month from now or something or or whatever and and that's why the studio session that we had went so perfectly with zero hitches nothing went wrong in that entire studio time it was perfect <laughs> nobody had any arguments about anything no nope. nothing at all <laughs> oh no studio time was way better yeah yeah nothing, nothing <laughs> no happened. it was nothing, nothing it happened was. yet no the uh the studio time was uh it was great because it was the second time that we've done uh recording with dave otero and we were sort of like uh, going back to that retreat style and we hadn't seen each other really we had a big break of seeing each other so we were sort of more or less reset and and it, and things are pretty good you know what I mean like it's uh, yeah working with him we know how to work with him already and I don't know it was just that retreat thing where you just go and you, you only focus the same we all- <laughs> minus, minus your drummer <laughs> and, well, yeah, and Jared and, and Jared yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the long but he's hairs. gonna be fired after this interview anyway so when does this air because we're gonna go fire him at three so <laughs> it'll be after that okay good okay so, good. so, you, so you're all good he isn't, he's not gonna find out on this podcast i guess no actually that's oh, how yeah. he should find out <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> dude you should listen to this it's really important <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what we're here for once you decide on a riff it, like this is good we're moving forward when does the learning it, learning it come into play? Like, are you saying that our, when we write it, you're, uh, you're assuming that we probably aren't able to play it? No, until... no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm assuming that you can play it. Which is a good assumption to make, by the way. It's oftentimes true. Even John Petrucci said that he writes above his own level so that he has to then get better. So I think he... he's lying. <laughs> <laughs> he's just trying to make the rest of us feel better. Yeah. That's true. Probably. But still, but for for real though, I know that lots of people write slightly out of their comfort zone. Yeah. And I'm assuming that because you guys push the envelope of what's possible technically, that you're going to be at times writing outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, correct. Maybe even if just by a little bit, like can kind of play it, can like play it well enough to work on it together, but not well enough for the studio yet is what I mean. So when do you then go make that transition from 
good enough to write the song versus good enough to do it for real? I mean, the problem is like the main thing for us with our riffs, I find is, is not that any one riff is necessarily like 50% above my or Toby's skill level or anybody like that really rarely happens when we're writing or anybody something, or anybody in the band, at least oh, okay. of all in the band. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's a key, <laughs> key to note. <laughs> but when we write, we write above our skill level and, and we have to, you know, tune up stuff or whatever. But the main thing is the endurance of playing a fucking full song with four or five riffs that are 10% above your skill level. That's the shit where it's like all the garbage comes out. And you're like, man, I can nail this riff at home by myself. But when I add it with all the other riffs and I'm also headbanging, it's like, I'm fucked. Like, that's why we came up with the way that we program our inner monitor setup where we're playing along to stems rather than to each other. So we're not listening to each other on stage. We're only listening to pre-recorded tracks minus our own track. So we have like this comparison, like everything should be compared against the album to try and get that, that same kind of thing live. And that's kind of like our standard for me, at least, I don't know about you, Toby, but it's the endurance of getting from riff A to riff F in a song without fucking up all the stuff in the middle, even though I could, you know, <laughs> nail, you know, riff C at home, but yeah. getting into it is tough and getting out of it sucks. So it's, it's like that riff. Yeah. It's like, that's, those are the problems that I run into mostly uh, yeah. myself. Or it could be like, oh, this part's up on the neck pickup and I'm playing down on the first fret but the next riff is going to be up on the 12th and i have to switch pickups too even like just little nuances like that where yeah. you even want it to sound like the album so much so like yeah you, know, you don't want to sacrifice kind of any of those little nuances just because you want to try to replicate the album as as close as possible so yeah but yeah like Dean was saying like having the in-ear monitors playing to the album stems and a click track is up forces you to play better because you have no choice. Like before when we would play to each other, I mean, that was fine too. But if one dude fucks up, it could throw off another person, right? Where now it's like you're literally playing to the machine. You're playing to the gold standard of the song. Exactly. And so if you can keep up with that, then you're probably doing okay. <laughs> so let's talk about the endurance and the transitions. How do you work that up? Even coming to the writing, we we try to we've been trying to be more conscious about that in the last few albums, I guess. Being like, hey, this yeah, is a crazy part, and this next part is also crazy. Fuck, this might be hard to pull off, and it might not just be a guitar thing. It could be drums, you know, especially with drums, right? Like, there's a lot of gravity blast, a lot of blasting. You know, it's pretty full on. So sometimes we have to write around that. So it could be even endurance, not just yeah, again ourselves. It could be even vocals. Like, here's a big vocal section, and Ollie's doing, like, crazy shotgun vocals for a, a good chunk, and then he's like, fuck, I need a break. Well, what if we do, I don't know, a breakdown cymbal break thing, or we do a guitar lead thing here, or something, or bass break, and, and you know, something to space things out. Yeah. So you're building it into the music. Yeah, so, so sometimes when we go into a clean section, it's not just to have a clean section it's literally could be because we need a break in the music <laughs> yeah that's actually but, yeah which yeah. is cool because then you get something kind of interesting out of it right they're like hey we got to come up with a clean section and it's just totally progressed the song yeah it needs to be this length because we need this much time to recover because the part before is so crazy okay so i understand that 
you guys are writing in breaks and you're taking that into account and being more intelligent with your arrangements, et cetera, all that. But still, all that said, you have to play songs where you were less intelligent about the arrangements and were less intelligent yeah. about breaks. And you, and still, the shit you've, you play is fucking fast as shit. Let's just talk about endurance. You still have to build your endurance for this stuff. Like, what do you do to build your endurance? Coffee. <laughs> yeah, coffee, yeah. I have a thing that I laid out to a lot of students for a while where I was like, come up with a tour set list that you play at home every night of songs that you like. You don't play them more than once. You play them once each and you play them every single night because that's what tour is like. And and for, for me, my endurance came from playing every single night whether or not I wanted to. So you you would go on stage and play that song and you would get the practice regardless of how you're feeling. And it's that kind of sustained practice that ups your endurance. And you really only get that from something like tour, I find. Um, so when we're on tour, I don't know about Toby. I don't. I think we're pretty similar. We don't really have a a, a practice routine. I don't find I don't find myself going backstage and just you know working on some new stuff for a while. Like almost never. I pretty much the guitar is the last thing I want to do when I'm on tour. But just the fact of going on tour, you need to play this every single night. Your endurance is going to go up, and that might not be the most like artistic way to look at it because it's you know oh you have to enjoy it or whatever. But it's like it's just the reality of it that your endurance will improve if you force yourself to play more. And we just so happen to be forcing ourselves to play it 300 eighth note BPM or higher, especially higher on this new album. So we'll see see what that does to our playing. Yeah. It's kind of like you're constantly practicing, you know, especially how we have our setup, you know, like we are playing to a click track. We're playing to our album stems minus ourselves. We're playing, you know, so yeah, you're just forced into having to, play to that quality whether you we pull it off or not individually but i mean you know we're we're in we don't know i guess a good example our song dark horizontal there's this really insane part close to the end and it's just part that dean wrote and it's got tons of like sweet picking and stuff but not in like a higher register it's more in mid-range and that's stuff like i hadn't really practiced a lot of in that part of the fretboard that was something like well fuck i gotta work on this because this is definitely stuff i don't do that much trying to practice it like with the click without a click like like what john was saying like trying to play faster sometimes just picking up the guitar and just trying to play that riff and then you end up playing it faster than it should be and then when you go to play to the song you're like oh shit okay i'm i'm playing it too fast but you know or you play it really really slow so then when you play it up to tempo you're actually you know worked a little bit of all those kinks out instead of uh but then yeah going on tour and just think well i have to get through this riff as much as I can. So here I go. And sometimes when you're just forced to play shit faster, you eventually starts to click, you know, instead of having the like practice routine where you do these small increments of like, okay, I'm going to bump it up five BPM. I'm going to bump it up 10 BPM. Find where your breaking point is like where you fall apart. And then that's where you should be practicing after you worked out the fundamentals, you know, like after you have like, I've worked this really slow. All my muscle memory is there. I, I understand how this riff is conceived now. And then just up the tempo to where you start breaking and then start messing with that instead of like the mid-range thing. Because most people will be able to do that anyways. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's just pushing yourself. The difference with the type of music that we're playing and other stuff is if you think about it like practicing the guitar, it's not really that 
Toby and I are not coming back home being better at improvising jazz after a tour. We're not better at playing (laughs) bar chords. We're only better at this one thing. It's like Louis C.K. has a joke, divorce is kind of like having a lot of money in a currency that doesn't exist anymore. It's sort of like that... It get you know what I mean. So it's like you practice a lot in that one thing. It isn't really transferable to anything else except for more of that thing. So that's good if that's all you want to do. But I think that drives people kind of crazy. I think some people don't want to put boundaries on themselves like that. Like okay, so all imagine all the time that you could play guitar um, in in a day, and all the time that you would want to play guitar in a day on a trip or on a tour or whatever, and you only dedicate it towards really, really, really fast extreme death metal. It's like, you have to want to do that. If you also want to play rockin' fucking blues riffs, it's like, where would you find time or the willpower to do it? And I think that fucking maybe is not mentally good for people that have 10% of a will to go play, you know, some jazzy thing. It's like, nah, you don't, you don't have time or willpower to do that on tour. You, you, got, you got this one thing, and if you're not happy with coming home being better at that one thing and pretty much worse at everything else on your instrument, then then that's what you're going to get and you got to be happy with it. Otherwise it's not really for you. Well, I also consider what you guys do to be an extreme sport almost, (laughs) or musically speaking, something that an extreme athlete would do to where they focus super hard on that one sport that is their profession. And that doesn't mean that they're, you know, just because they're, a world champion surfer doesn't mean they know how to play golf well too. Right. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that there's some athletes who do multiple things, but someone who's a world-class fighter can't also be a world-class powerlifter. The size you become as a powerlifter takes away from the agility um, and speed that you need for fighting. You have to basically decide you're going to do this thing at the expense of everything else. And I don't think all musical genres are like that. But like I said, I liken it to an extreme sport. You have to go all in or you're not going to be able to have songs at 400 BPM. Like, yeah, yeah, you have to make the choice, I think. I, I think so. Toby and I, for the most part, pretty much dedicated, everybody in the band dedicated our lives, most of our lives to the band for the last 10 plus 12, whatever years. It's like, that's what, we, that's what we've done. There, you know, we haven't put out side uh project albums you know we're not go oh i'm also going to go on tour with my indie rock band uh, between september and october like no that's well maybe jared maybe jared yeah <laughs> we're talking about current band members not ex oh yeah, members. Right, yeah right. oh yeah by the time uh, this is released right yeah exactly no yeah. longer be yeah, right. no longer be so uh yeah i mean it's just i think that's really cool it's sort of like if you think about the guitars that we use too playing an eight string guitar is really and I, I want everybody that hasn't tried one, if you're interested in playing an eight string guitar, try one out that's, you know, medium quality or whatever, get one, you know, I see a lot of them in a, used in a guitar store because people get overwhelmed and that sucks. But if that's something you're interested in, stick it out and just kind of like notice the differences. Maybe there's something in the extended range that you can do with it that maybe you didn't realize before. Don't think about it just like a sugar cover machine or, you know what I mean? Like just. That's, that's why I didn't want to play one for so long that's true yeah because i'm like i know i can't do the thing i just don't want it in my life (laughs) if toby and i look at our music we think okay the guitars that we are using are a tool to get that music done it's like i i really like that idea 
it's like it, this is an eight string guitar big scale length so that it sounds this way for this type of music the pickups are, are are this one because this one makes our type of music sound the best i i use this type of pick because i can sweep at that tempo because if i pick up a guitar at a music store if i'm just like jamming just sort of ethereal bullshit that i fucking am not gonna go home and like record it's like well then i might pick up like a telly or something you know what i mean it's like if i'm just trying to express myself on guitar at just like a whatever pace not trying to beat any tempo record records or whatever then i'll just pick up something kind of easy to play kiesel guitars that we use are great easy to play well set up but for me they're a tool to get our music heard that's like i have gotten very used to the low action flatter radius you know big frets lots of strings is it the most comfortable thing for uh, an amateur or semi-amateur or whatever semi-professional guitarist to pick up and just jam out and feel? It's like, maybe not, but it's like, that's not why I have it, you know? Yeah, it's like we've tailored our instruments to the genre that we're playing. Yeah. You know? There's certain things that you need. It's like, it, it's the same with like, I don't know, like a race car or something, right? Like you're not going to do a race in, I mean, I know nothing about cars, but I don't know, like a, <laughs> Pony, a Pontiac something. You're not going to try to ra- okay. go to a racetrack and then, like a fucking like Honda Civic or something, you know. Or as a race car driver, you might not just go on the on the streets with like a fucking whatever that, yeah. crazy souped up. You, you might have a daily driver car. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, I'm not racing right now, so I'm gonna daily drive this because this is comfortable and it's not putting me at like the height of my abilities or whatever. It's just, it's just I'm just doing it, you know. And but on stage or in the studio, our instruments are the tools to get the music done, and I think that's really cool. Another thing, especially, is how our guitar is set up kind of will help us with our endurance playing these songs, you know, like like lower action, maybe even lighter gauge strings, you know, stuff that like where it's just set up just enough where like when you're playing, you know, these really high speeds and have to do these like, you know, really technical like techniques and stuff. It facilitates everything where like if your guitar is set up a certain way, it might not facilitate that and it's going to make it harder. It's kind of like making it easier. Like, I don't want to fight my instrument. I, there's yeah. like, I know all the, there's like tons of old school dudes. They're like, you got it. It's like a battle against your guitar, man. And it's like, <laughs> no, it's not. I want to make it as easy as, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard enough it's as hard it enough. is. That totally makes sense to me though. What I'm gathering from that is just using the tools at your disposal to get every single advantage you possibly can to be able to pull this off. Well, yeah. And I mean, when we go into the studio, this is something that we we found at last album, but this one we really experimented on is when you go into the studio with the pick that you like to use, it probably is not going to sound good because the pick you like to use is made for speed or economy motion or whatever. You go into the studio, you have to be willing to accept that maybe some picks that you find uncomfortable are going to sound 10 times better. And also, saying that. <laughs> no problem. Not to mention some strings especially with our guitars, sound better with certain gauges than others. So you might be using a different pick for every riff and you have to be okay with that because it's the tool to get the music to sound as absolutely the best as possible. And luckily we live in an age where you can record riff by riff. Of course we don't. We play all of our songs front to back. Everything's live off the floor in the studio, as you can tell. (laughs) One take. One One take. But if bands wanted to record... In that fashion, they could. Yeah, Man, URM put out a course called Ultimate Guitar Production that we made with Andrew Wade a few years ago, and we have this long section on pick selection. It's like 20 minutes long, because pick selection in the studio is seriously one of the most important things you can do Mm -hmm. for for tone. 
<laughs> a bunch of people who bought the course were not regular URM members. There were a lot of guitar players who wanted to learn how to record their own stuff. And when that section came out, like two weeks in, a lot of them got pissed off. Like these dudes who had been playing for 20 years who, you know, wanted to learn how to record guitars properly were irate that we even suggested that they don't just use their favorite pick or the same pick they've been using since 1991. Just consider trying different picks for different riffs and see which one sounds best for what and go with that. And if you're uncomfortable, maybe spend five to 10 minutes getting comfortable with that pick, then record it. Because if you're a good guitar player, if you're used to not thin picks, but like not super thick, yeah, and you're playing fast stuff, yeah, it could take you a second to have to adjust. By a second, I mean like 10 or 15 minutes maybe. Or or even Five like a minutes. day. Even like or a day. day. Yeah, sometimes. Whatever. Yeah, sometimes because like that initial feeling of like, it's sort of like if you are a guitarist and you're listening to this and you have a pick around you, grab it with your left hand. It's the weirdest fucking feeling. It feels like you're missing a part of your body. It's like really strange because in your right hand, if you've been playing for long enough, even like a year or two, it should feel pretty comfortable. But if you put it in your left hand between your index and your thumb, it feels like your like your hand is broken or something. It's really strange. But like that sort of weirdness just of course that would go away like why what makes what makes anybody think that their you know one millimeter jazz three is better for them than their 0.88 you know tortex or whatever it's like no it's literally just because you have more time on it it's not it might be better for some things and it definitely is but it's not like your body is only able to use x pick it's like no experiment and sort of you know at least for the studio live do whatever you're most comfortable with and whatever gets you the fastest or the whatever you need but well originally too like the first time that we recorded with dave for relentless mutation we were just using the picks that we use and he's like first day of recording he's like what picks are you guys using we showed him like these like jazz three thinner picks and he's like yeah no you can't use those like, what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like, no, nope, you're using these. What and we're like, prick. okay. And it's but he like, was right. But he was yeah. right. But it, it, yeah. so that was a learning curve. It could have been too. nicer like, about it. But. Yeah. And he's like, you also have to use this gauge string. We're like, and I want action to be like, you know, a certain, you know, millimeter or whatever. And we're like, okay. I, it makes sense. But fuck, I wish we knew that like months before. Like we just didn't know. And he's like, I just, when I record these things, like these strings sound really good. And these picks just always sound good. So you're going to have to get used to using them. And then we're like, okay, well, that's the way it is. We're not going to argue with this guy. This is his job. We're coming to him. He knows better than we do. So then we're like, okay. I was that way too with bands that came in, you know, like this is what we're doing because this is what works. And that's not to say that, that I wasn't open to suggestions or whatever, but typically bands, especially on their first record, just they haven't been to the studio like they haven't been in like with a real producer who's going to really push them like that and so they just don't know about these things so you have to come in you got to come in hot because they they're they're coming from a place of not knowing any of this shit this time you guys going into the studio you already knew about all this stuff so wasn't a shock to the system you were expecting it so yeah when you're producing bands that have been around the block none of this stuff is an issue like they're just ready 
they come they come prepared. They'll bring the arsenal of picks and stuff. Yeah. The thing about it too is like if you're trusting a producer, a real producer, not to say that somebody who isn't a quote unquote real producer doesn't have, you know, capability of becoming better or whatever is like everybody starts somewhere. But like when you're going to somebody who's recorded quite a few albums and, and you're going to them for a reason, it's like, you got to trust their opinion. It's like, yeah, they know what they're, they they probably have some good ideas on the stuff that maybe you don't. And also if you bring in pre-production stuff and if you're a newer band, they're hearing this pre-production that let's hope the actual final thing is going to sound better than that. So you're already like being, you're exposing yourself. Like here's how shitty I am at guitar. They're going to hear the hundred takes you do of that one riff that might be for the producer, pretty easy to just rip out. It's like, Oh, I can just play that riff real quick, but that's not the point. It's like the producer is trying to get the best representation of what was in your head out onto a physical or digital download or whatever. And, uh, and you have to be like, okay, well, maybe they have some better ideas. I mean, it's, it's how we do all of our business stuff. Um, we don't do our own shirt designs. We don't go and like take pen to paper and yeah. be like, you know what? I think this shirt design should like, <laughs> I'm not an artist, but the, I'm just going to yeah, design what? these of course shirts. Not. Like, yeah, totally. you know, we might like, you do some quick drawing stuff for concept stuff, like the layout of something very, and that's so rare. You know what I mean? It's like, so, and it's only if you have a very specific idea, but after that, if the artist is like, Hey, I don't like that. Or I, that's not going to work. It's like, Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Well then you do what you want to do because that's, that's the the reason why we're going to you. (laughs) And, And that type of mindset, if you don't have that sort of open, if you pay someone, trust them, and then say no to their ideas or hold back from their expertise, then why are you going to them? Mm-hmm. So there's two things on that. One, uh, we did argue with Dave with no pick slides. <laughs> so aside from all of his other, like, yep. use these picks, he does like pick gauge, slides. like here's an idea, like those notes don't, that, maybe try this, or you guys should add a harmony oh, here, okay. like, like yeah. his input there, sure. But pick slides were like, yep. that's a no-go. No pick slides ever well i mean you gotta you gotta hold your ground on yeah. Yeah. what's important <laughs> to you yeah if the if, <laughs> if there's an artistic thing like you don't do that in your songs then yeah. then it doesn't matter so a good producer too needs to know when to shut the fuck up like good producer knows that it's the band's album and they're yeah. there in the service of the band to help achieve their vision to have the best possible version of their vision and so the suggestions are going to be ideally along the lines of things that will help elevate. So, but if they're artistically wrong, (laughs) then the band should be able to feel comfortable (laughs) to just say no. And the producer should be totally cool to be like, okay, next, no problem. But I think with what Dean is saying about trusting the expertise, I think that both those things can coexist both as an artist, knowing where to stand your ground, like, you know, what the deal breakers are yep. as far as suggestions go. And then what is important to uh, to listen to. And I think in general, stuff that has to do with engineering, stuff that has to do with tone, stuff that, you know, sometimes, like you said, harmonies, things like that. It's good to listen to a, a good producer about that kind of stuff. That's what they're there for. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I think about oftentimes when it comes to suggestions in like an artistic kind of context is uh, when people suggest things, hey, we want this, we want that. 
people don't often know what they actually want. And maybe they say they want something. And then in actuality, they would hate that thing. That thing sucks. Oh, you guys should totally have guitars tracked 16 <laughs> times on each side because it'll make it thicker. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't want that. But an artist, artist or fans or what people have ideas. And oftentimes it just takes like a, here's what that would sound like. And be like, Oh, right. I'm wrong. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I, of course that was a bad idea, but, but like, you know, when it comes to suggestions in the studio, you have to be open. And like you said, standing your ground with certain things, the producer also has the right to stand his ground. And that's the, that's the relationship that we developed with Dave is I had an idea to do a section, which funnily enough, or but it's, it's exactly what I just said. I was like, maybe I'll track for this one guitars. spot. We'll track like a, like a guitar orchestra. I, it sounds so stupid now that I say it, but of course that's a bad idea. Of course it didn't work, right? I think I tried at home and I was like, what am I doing? I'm a fucking idiot. Maybe <laughs> I'm just not the right guy to execute that. But stuff like that, or, you know, for the second thing that, that Toby uh, was going to say, there's two things that we said no to. And the first thing was pick slides. And I don't remember the second thing. What was the second thing? I think it was wah pedals. Oh, wall pedals. Yeah. And it became more of like a joke because like Dave would be like, no, no, check it out. Like this sounds so cool. I'm like, yeah, if you're like a <laughs> punk band, but we're not a punk band where we don't need pink slides. Yeah. And we're not a rock band, so we don't want wah in our, on our guitar solos. <laughs> I think there is a place for wah, but there is not in our band. I, I, I don't necessarily <laughs> agree with you. I don't, I don't know if I agree with you because I feel like there's a re like i don't want a kirk hammett wah solo but there i think there is a place for a vowel adding vowel sounds to this to a guitar to make it more expressive and more like a human voice and then there you go you got something that's more relatable to the audience because they subconsciously hear it more like an expressive vocal thing rather than a guitar line Dave he did yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> i'm making a lot of money yeah. actually and he's not he's not <laughs> yeah, some weird yeah. shit in the album yeah too. flatlineaudio.com sure but uh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sorry sure. yeah i mean i don't know if we really had like a full uh thing but we we definitely discussed it for a, for a while in the studio and it was more like an ongoing joke too i mean just because because it was such a stupid idea yeah, well yeah. but i mean I, I don't know i don't know i see that's the thing <laughs> i mean i guess what well, it could it could work in a very long expressive way yeah not like slash or something very low and like open I think a lot of guitarists use it. Tosin Abassi, I think, uses it on the album. On some albums, you can hear some sort of like slow, like shallow, uh, you know, opening and closing of a vowel sound. It's like I think that stuff is pretty interesting, but I don't have an expertise in it, so I don't know. But then they would also like show us the idea too, or even like with picks. You know, we would track something, and he would like, "Hey, try actually try this pick," and then we would track it. And then he would listen and be like, ah, I don't think so. But then as we're listening back ourselves, we would start to hear the difference in even the tone of those things where it's like, oh yeah, that, these picks do sound better for the tra- for tracking. So we just have to get used to that. Or, you know, he'd, if it's like, oh, this pick slide, like, just let me try it and show us. And then we would be like, yeah, that sounds like garbage. And he'd be like, okay. He's like, all right, sorry, yeah. let's just move on. Yeah. Let's go back to, you know. Yeah. I think one of the best ways to get a musical idea across to somebody is to show them rather than just talk about it. Because when you talk about it, well, first of all, nobody is going to know what you mean. Like, not actually know what you mean because they're not in your head. Maybe you'll get lucky and they will think they agree with you. But until they've heard it, there's no way to actually know what the idea even is. And can save a lot of time and a lot of stress and a lot of bullshit by just showing people the idea. 
Yeah, that, that happened a lot writing. We would try everybody's idea because that's just how we work. And sometimes it was cool because we're like, hey, no one thought of that. You know, like whoever could be like, hey, why don't we put this riff at the end? Why are we putting it, you know, riff A at the first, the intro? The Riff A should actually be riff Z or Y or something. And then Dean would be on the computer moving shit around. Sometimes that was cool, but then sometimes it just turned into we're just playing yeah. Lego or, or Jenga. Or- on a computer yeah. screen and Dean's just being barked <laughs> all these orders at him. No, 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 try my idea first. No, 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 try my thing first. No, actually, no, before my idea, I want to hear my that idea. That was... <laughs> it's like fucking... <laughs> so that was stressful. That was a dark time. There's nothing less inspiring than sitting there moving around blocks of big blocks of audio when, you know, you write one thing and then you basically have your guitar in your lap for 20 minutes as you're moving stuff around. It's like, maybe I'm just not the right person for that, but it's like, man, I really, personally, I didn't find it very inspiring. We did make some important changes using that method. And and I think there, there obviously is a time and place for that. And we did that in this. Yeah, I think we abused yeah, it. <laughs> I think that we did that in the studio too, where, where Dave would have an idea and he said, you know what? This riff should be shorter. And, and we're like, oh, okay. He'll cut out big blocks of audio and just take it out. It's like, that's a great idea. Looking at music like that, it also gives you a visual representation of how long sections are because you can think about, I mean, I know that I get caught up in this. I'm sure everybody else in the band does is, I love this part because of how the riff feels when I play it. It's like, well, that's not a good reason to like it. Like, (laughs) is anybody else ever going to fucking play this? Like, maybe a handful of people will get the tab books available at, yeah sheet happens publishing.com use uh sheet yeah happens. use code word dean for 15 percent off but um the uh a, a lot of the time you know they're just going to be listening to it as a fan and it doesn't matter how it feels or how you you know internalize the riff it's like no it has to sound good and the length of it is really long you can see it is right there let's cut it in half it's like you know that it is valuable but just not with me at the helm i guess <laughs> When you're getting ready to record, do you change your practice routine at all? Like, what do you do to get physically ready on the instrument for the studio? I don't know. Personally, for myself, I'll pick out the stuff I'm struggling with the most and then try to just hash it out at home as much as I can. We played to our strengths on this album, for sure, and we let each other trade off. If you had a part that you were really good at, you would play both parts. And that was the first time that we've ever done that, really. Because I think at the last few albums, when we stereoed guitars, I was on the left, you were on the right, and we would play them almost always. We would be on both sides. You could always hear one of us. You could always hear both of us. But on, but on this That's album, insane. we didn't do that. that yeah, never I, I, we didn't do that this time. Yeah. So it was, it was very different. So I think there was a little bit less preparation for overall things because I would play the stuff I was good at. Toby would play the stuff he was good at and we'd meet in the middle for the more difficult stuff that maybe both of us had some room to work on and we would sort of pick and choose. Hey, you wrote this riff, but neither of us are really into it uh, or really up to speed with it. So we got to pick one dude to do it. So, you know, like that kind of thing. It really was just isolation of the riff and trying to figure out the shortest distances between whatever. Like, hey, I'm going to hybrid pick this because getting counter uh the pedal tone routine da, 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 there's no way i could pick that so i'm going to hybrid pick it you know or isolate it even further in the studio and and uh, and record smaller sections no no we didn't do that other bands do that yeah not us <laughs> just one take so when you were doing your one take you were just exactly. figuring out yeah right and then i would toss you different picks for different riffs you know oh sorry i forgot i drank a lot in the studios so i don't really remember <laughs> aside from all the joke stuff like 
it made it a lot smoother of a process yeah. and it felt way more comfortable too. It felt less stressful. Yes. That's way more of how extreme metal is traditionally recorded these days where person who is best at the part plays it rather than one guitar player on one side and the other on the other. Like that is super uncommon in this kind of music. Yeah. I think it sounds better yeah. now. I mean, I think it does sound, I think it does sound better than our previous albums. I think we are all really proud of this album. And I think the production obviously leveled up because Dave is always getting better. Dave was already great when he we worked with him for the first time but the methods that he has now and he's just sort of like pushing us towards certain things and and the way that he'll pick up one of our guitars and write a harmony to something while we're sitting there with him and then he'll get one of us to play it i mean that kind of stuff you it's it's the reason why we went to him and and for him to be like hey you know what let's get this guy to record both parts because you already are sitting here with the guitar you're already warmed up do it four times. Let's get doubles. Let's make sure everything's all good and super tight. And like it shows in the recording. I don't really know why we did it the other way. I guess just lack of experience or I don't know. I think it was our experience. It was like, well, we're both going to play this this part, this riff anyways. So we should both play the part tracking because you're on the left. I'm not on the right or whatever. Just, yeah, in an experience kind of mentality and like not really knowing that you don't have to do things that way. <laughs> it's like you listen to it. I mean, that's, yeah, it's I just an so. experience. I think just you hear an album and you, and you think like, Oh, well that guitar player plays the riffs all on that side. And the other one plays that one. Doesn't matter who wrote it. You just have to play that yeah. guy's riff or something. I think something that locals do to torpedo their own careers is not spend enough time getting good at music uh, i mean hmm? yeah that, that would be yeah that, that's like <laughs> that's, that's the yeah. number the number one right there i think is focusing too much on the career before the music part is even like ready for anything i would say trying to get endorsements before you've played you know <laughs> a couple tours if you're if your goal with playing music is to get free guitars that you're doing it backwards for sure you're doing it backwards yeah. I mean, the reason why a band or an individual gets endorsed is because they have an advertising platform to support the equipment and the equipment company and the endorsee are, uh, they're having a, a profitable relationship. It's not one-sided. Uh, that's the ideal endorsement relationship when you have something to offer and ideally the company approaches you. And that can happen anyway uh, through email and through personal interaction, through friend of a friend or whatever. Um, maybe it's a new company and they're looking for new artists because they're trying to build up their, you know, whatever. But if you're if you're writing a song in hopes to get an endorsement, that's definitely that's definitely ind indicative of of, uh, of a deeper issue. And uh, and the music should be the reward. And then also you get some free stuff, and that's great too. But you know. It's that's that shouldn't be the goal. Yeah, that's just like a bonus. It's a bonus. You should be playing music because you love playing music. It, when you say bonus, it's actually just more of a paycheck. Yeah, I guess I guess so. It's not really a bonus because you are not getting something for free. Getting an endorse getting an endorsement deal is not getting X amount of stuff for free as much as it might seem like that. You are giving your time, your platform, your expertise on how to sell stuff if that's why they're high. It's really like a really informal job it's really it's a weird job you know yeah i guess you're constantly advertising i mean especially if you're a touring band and you're playing whatever if it's whatever guitar or bass or drums or anything amps that is the best marketing these companies could ever hope for yeah 
If you're on stage every night, people are going to see that. So when I was with Ibanez, <laughs> and Ibanez was giving me guitars, I got approached by another guitar company. They really wanted me to come over, and all they were willing to give were artist discounts. <laughs> yeah. Like, huh? Didn't even make sense. But they pursued me really hard, and it's a big company. It didn't make any sense. I already had a full deal with Ibanez where it's getting all kinds of great stuff. And uh, yeah, so... That definitely favored them more. So you're saying that the company was pursuing you heavily, but the most that they yes. would ever do was discounts. That was it. Yes. You even said, can you do any better? And they said, no. Yeah, that's what we're offering. Wow. Yeah. And, and they kept, and they <laughs> so kept pursuing weird. you. That's yeah. wow. bizarre. Yeah. Oh, he'll come around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He'll, he'll break. <laughs> he'll crack on this offer. Yeah. You're like waking up at like three in the morning like, ah, yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't make any sense. It was so confusing. I wasn't going to go to them anyways, right. but like, but <laughs> still, uh, recently I got approached by a fitness supplement company wanting me to hawk their wares <laughs> on Instagram. And I said that, uh, you know, that's not really my world. I'll just post some pictures sometimes cause people will care, but, uh, it's not really my world, but they pushed. So I was like, okay, send me some samples of your protein powder first before i even consider this i need to know what i'm getting myself into and uh the response was uh we can give you a discount <laughs> what the same company or what the hell's going on here uh, right yeah yeah so they wanted me to become an ambassador for their supplement company without it having ever used their supplements and then wouldn't let me try their supplements either without buying them at a discount <laughs> We really want you really bad. It's going to cost <laughs> yeah. you, but... <laughs> that must be their team looking out and getting the widest... Because uh, you cast a wide net with that. It's got to be. They have no, they have no uh, you know, cost to it. They have the person that's sending some mostly already fill out emails where they just supplement or change out your name for somebody else's or whatever that has a over X amount of subscribers or followers on Instagram. Plus they have tagged this thing multiple or whatever. Like I have that because I have a YouTube channel of over a certain amount of subscribers. I get weekly stuff about raid shadow legends in my email so always trying to get wit raid chat i don't have a video gaming channel but raid shadow legends casts a wide net of getting youtubers to to advertise for them and i'm sure they have deep pockets but it's like but uh yeah i mean like i don't i'm not gonna play raid shadow legends but that being said this i i'm not i wouldn't play it because they told me to i would play it because it's a great game and you can have tons of heroes uh there's 60 heroes that you can get and they oh all fight God. each other no i don't i don't fuck it <laughs> are you wearing a shirt <laughs> yeah. from them i have too? no idea what raid shadow legends i don't know <laughs> actually if you go if you go on their website and you type in dean you get <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah and right now you can get a custom dean hero in raid shadow legends here yeah <laughs> I mean, Dude, why are local bands even yeah. going for endorsements in the first place? It should just come naturally. I think there's a mix of things too. where like one, if you want to use a product and you're like, like it'd be guitar cabs, like, Hey, we are going to be using these all over the world. It's expensive to use. Let's reach out to some companies that we believe in. And then you hope for the best. Maybe they'll get back to you, you know, depending on if you can construct a nice professional email, that's not just demanding free shit. But if you're making it sound like you want to work with them and what you can offer. Yeah. And then the other side is like a company that approaches you 
And it happens to be a product that you end up being really stoked on once you try it. And you're like, hey, I, this is actually really great. And their offer is awesome. Yeah. And I can see myself supporting this because I need whatever it was like a guitar or amp or something like I like trying this stuff out more. Like I really like I can see myself using this like just indefinitely. So and that that's awesome, too, when a company comes to you, because then it shows that they actually might be into what you're doing. It's not just like, I mean, hopefully you're not just a number to them, but if it's like they firmly believe right. like, hey, we really love what you guys do. We would love for you guys to play our product. It would, it would be awesome. It's like you're almost doing them a favor. Like when it's like that, I think that's just the best of both worlds. And then, you know, it's honest and it's, uh, yeah, it's just way cooler, especially when you're really stoked and it's a tool that you're going to use and you're just going to make, well, this is great. I'm always going to be using this now. And you develop a actual relationship. It's not just like, yeah, I got a discount on some shit, whatever. I use it once in a while. I don't care. It's like, it's kind of empty, you know? Yeah, their cost is, uh, you know, however however much they mark up. But I mean, I know the music, the music gear industry is, as far as I know, heavily marked up. You know, I mean, there's a lot of room in there, and for them to put up, for a company to put up what is essentially like lost profit aside, but like you know, two hundred dollar cost for an item that they sell for eight or nine hundred bucks or whatever. It's like they wouldn't even put up two hundred bucks out of their own pocket to give this to, you know, to, to believe in you for the, it's like, well, that's not enough, you know, as an artist that where, especially with like, and any of any of us, this is our livelihood. This is what we, I mean, like we've all sort of, you know, do different aspects of it, but I mean, music is, is, uh, is sort of the core of all four of our income. Uh, and actually I was going to bring one thing, one thing up is that, uh, I think it was ale that you posted on Instagram the other day. Uh, I thought it was really funny. Uh, and so maybe this is like about local bands too is I, okay, let's see if I can get the quote, right. It was like the amount of people that are musicians and know how to use the reply all button on an email chain. What, what, what was that dude? Well, it was super funny, dude. I was like, fuck, that's, it said, uh, just an observation. And I know this is going to be a revelation, but the musicians I know who tend to do the best understand what reply all is ah <laughs> oh, it's amazing artists tend to have this like stereotype of being idiots sure the music industry is built off of the assumption that musicians are idiots like old record contracts are built off of that the three different portions of my career both doing the band doing the production doing this i've kind of seen it from multiple sides and i know a lot of artists and even some producers who like can't do anything for themselves without their uh, manager or somebody else doing it for them. They can't, they don't know how to do reply all like they don't know how to book plane tickets. Like if you were to get them, if you were to book them a flight, it would make you nervous right. because <laughs> you don't know if they would be able to navigate the airport because yep. they're just such helpless yep. idiots. <laughs> and those people perpetuate that stereotype and it bothers me because i don't think that that's a good thing I, I definitely think artists should be taking as much of the business into their own hands as possible at least uh at least the knowledge of it yeah um when they're working with teams and i think that those idiots who can't reply all can't find their way around an airport like those types don't know how to use uber eats like that kind of shit their success is going to be very short-lived 
because the only reason that people are putting up with them is because there's money coming in the door. The moment that there's not money coming in the door, it's over because they don't have any skills and everyone thinks that they're a fucking idiot. It's a very suicidal, stupid gambling move, I think, to not learn how to handle yourself and how to engage with people properly and, you know, all the all those things. Let's say you have a musician that immediately hires a booking agent to book a tour or whatever, never having booked his own tour, his or her own, own tour. And uh, this booking agent they deal with, uh, he says, I want to hear the artist says, I, I want to go you know, 12 shows, whatever I want this date, this date, you know, th- this, these markets or whatever. And there's a snag somewhere in the booking. The booking agent can't get this show on this date. So you have to have a Friday night off or whatever. And the artist doesn't understand why that booking agent is not going to be looking forward to working with that agent, uh, that artist again. But if you have an artist who's booked one or two tours or at least has spoken to enough promoters to understand something about the industry, the booking agent that that artist is going to work with next time is going to be like, okay, well, at least this person gets it. They know that, hey, I can't get this show on Friday. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. It's like, ah, fair enough. I get it. It's like, okay, well, the relationship is going to, is going to, you know, it's going to be more comfortable and it's going to be less frustrating because everybody has to enjoy working together. It's not only about money. Like you were saying, if it's money, 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 then Hey, all good. Somebody will put up a certain amount of frustration for X amount of reward. But as soon as that's, you know, slow down, then the frustration is now coming at too low of a price and it's not worth it for the crew or the, you know, the team to, to put up with it. And, and, and they ditch. I call it the stress to money. ratio. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have some rough markets, dude. And it's, if you want to go across country, let's say if you want to do Vancouver, Halifax, it's like, I mean, either you have lots of days off or you miss a Friday night every once in a while. And it's like, you have to be okay because the the cost difference is if you just do Canada, then you don't have to pay for work visas. And all of a sudden your tour cost is, is way lower. It's like thousands and thousands of dollars lower. And you're like, okay, well we might miss out on a Friday, but we don't have all the paperwork and headache and money cost of, you know, so that that would be a trade-off. Everything is sort of a trade-off in that perspective, but. And this all just illustrates why you should book some tours on your own, because then you will know the difference when you're working with a booking agent between them being an idiot and missing out on an opportunity they should have booked versus it's just an unrealistic expectation to want that Friday night show. Yeah. And you'll be able to know the difference. Yeah. It's really is like you can have every single day booked, but your happiness will go down. You could book every single day if you want. Uh, and you can book in Brandon, Manitoba and you can book in Drumheller. You can book in I mean, you can book in so many places and you can play in front of 15 people and your happiness will go down. And so you, it's everything is a trade-off at that point where you're, you're like, you know what? We could make $200 tonight, but why don't we just like skip it? It's, it's going to make us all happier. And that was something we actually learned on, I think, our last full U.S. headliner tour. Where we played one show that now we're like, okay, that show... That at, at our time in our band, at our level of our band, that one's a pass next time. We don't need that money that badly. We always said, oh, let's book every single day. Let's play every single day. 28 shows in a row. Let's do it. And it's like, maybe we can miss a couple and it's fine. God, that's crazy. You kind of figure out the ones that it's okay to miss because it's going to take more of your energy and time and potentially money with gas and stuff too sure. by stopping and 
playing a small place that is just not going to be worth it. And you're not going to have fun. Yeah. 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 It's, it's all a trade-off. Yeah. Everything in life is a trade-off. Dean and Toby, I think it's a good place to uh, end the episode. I want to thank you guys for taking the time to hang thank out. You. It's been a pleasure as always. That's been great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's always nice to talk to you guys. Anytime.